Would you remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word? And this evening we'll be in John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verses 16 through 37. John 19, 16 through 37. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Now, this is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, our journey this Holy Week has led us here to the scene of the cross, just like it did for Jesus so many years before. But our experience at the cross and Jesus's could not be more different. 
We go to the cross for reflection, but Jesus went for crucifixion. We go to fathom the darkness of God's wrath against sin, but Jesus went to endure it. We go to the cross as guilty sinners to receive the forgiveness, peace, and salvation it's brought us. But Jesus went to the cross as the innocent lamb of God to be forsaken, cursed, and sacrificed. All those differences might best be summed up this way. Jesus went to the cross to drink the cup of God's wrath so that all who trust in his substitutionary atonement can go to the cross to drink the cup of God's salvation. Jesus went to the cross to drink the cup of God's wrath so that all who trust in his substitutionary atonement can go to the cross to drink the cup of God's salvation. And so on this Good Friday, as we meditate together on the darkest day in human history, I'd like us to use the biblical imagery given to us of the cup in order to guide our hearts and minds. And I'll begin by noting that when we find this biblical imagery at use in Scripture, we learn that it's there to symbolize either God's salvation or his wrath. In other words, God has a cup in his hand, and he hands it to people to drink, and it's filled with either his salvation or his wrath. But then we also come to quickly discover that these cups aren't handed out randomly or on a whim. So let me show you what I mean with some biblical examples. In Psalm chapter 75, we hear this. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. Now these verses tell us some important things about the cup of the Lord, and I've drawn our attention to these things by underlining them for us. So could you keep that slide up just for a second? Thanks. So I want you to note that there is a set time for judgment against the wicked. And that this judgment is described as being contained in a cup that's held in the hand of the Lord that the wicked will have to drink completely. There is a set time for judgment against the wicked. And this judgment is described as being contained in a cup that's held in the hand of the Lord that the wicked will have to drink completely. Let's look at another example, though, and this time from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 51, verses 17 through 
23, where we hear these words. Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword, who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more, and I will put it into the hand of your tormentors. Here again, we see that the cup of God's wrath is in his hand. And he gives it to sinners to drink. But in this example, we're given the added detail that it causes them to stagger and to stagger in such a way that they are in need of consolation and comfort. And while these are just two examples, the symbolism they point to as it relates to the cup of God's wrath is carried all the way through to the end of Scripture when we hear this in the book of Revelation. Revelation 14, 9 and 10 says, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So in just these three examples from Scripture, we're told about the cup of God's wrath and some of the details about its symbolism. But before we move on to briefly discuss the biblical imagery of the cup of God's salvation, I want to be sure to note the reason God has a cup of wrath in his hand in the first place. And that reason is primarily because God is holy. And his holiness demands justice. And that justice is carried out as God hands the cup of his wrath to be fully consumed by those who sin against him. But God is also love. And we see this demonstrated in a million different ways throughout Scripture, including the fact that along with the cup of his wrath, we thankfully discover that there is also the cup of God's salvation. And so, for example, in Psalm 116, we hear news about this as the psalmist considers God's love in light of his sinfulness, and he asks what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. 
The question I want us to consider here is why the psalmist has the cup of salvation to lift up in worship instead of the cup of God's wrath. Is it because he's unlike every other human and that he hasn't sinned against God? Well, the psalmist answers that for us at the beginning of this psalm where he, has, where he says this. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So I wonder if you catch the reason why the psalmist had a cup of salvation in his hand instead of the cup of God's wrath. It was because God heard his prayer for mercy. And God delivered him. He prayed for mercy because as a sinner, the psalmist understood and he felt the wages of Sin, like the snares of death encompassing him. He felt the distress and the anguish of that predicament, and so he cried out for the Lord to deliver him, and the Lord did just that. And in the Old Testament, this deliverance was on display in the sacrificial system that God instituted for his people. Not only, though, through the required sacrifices of animals, but also through the required drink offerings that accompanied each sacrifice, all of which was meant to communicate to the people that God's wrath against sin must be atoned for and it must be assuaged because his holiness demands justice. But because of the love of God, the sacrificial system was also meant to, to display the salvation of God. And as Scripture continues to unfold, the details included in the symbolism of the cup of God's wrath and the cup of God's salvation come together with one who would take the cup of God's wrath and drink it on behalf of others so that they might receive instead the cup of God's salvation. And isn't that what we discover in the person and work of Jesus? He brings together the details surrounding the cup of God's wrath. It's appointed time, the dark reality that it must be consumed, and all the staggering ramifications that come along with that. Listen to the way the Gospels bring those details together as Jesus faced the cross. In Mark chapter 14, we read this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. 
And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. As Jesus faced the appointed time to receive the cup of wrath from his father, we're told that he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. We're told that his soul was very sorrowful, even to death. But it's important for us to remember that it wasn't just the horrors of the physical and emotional pain he was about to endure that caused him to be so troubled. The cross he'd have to carry and stagger under, the pain of betrayal not only by Judas but also by Peter, the mocking of the crowds, the gambling over his clothes, the heartache of watching his mother see him suffer like that. And instead of the comfort and consolation from his father, silence. As crushing as those things would be, that's not what caused him his great distress. But it was the cup of God's wrath filled to the brim with the darkness of sin and all of its consequences that was being handed to him to drink on our behalf. And for him who knew no sin but only the light of perfect fellowship with his Father, the prospect of this darkness was crushing. And so as we find ourselves here tonight at the scene of the cross, meditating on the symbolism of the cup of God's wrath, we can understand maybe a little bit better what it was like for Jesus when he said, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And God the Father would do just that as Jesus would faithfully go to the cross and be lifted up so that all could see what would be the clearest demonstration of God's justice and love ever displayed. And as Jesus drained the cup of God's wrath that day, it would drain him of his very life, but not before he spoke these words of hope to all who look to him for salvation. It is finished. And with those words come, comes the reason we call such a dark day good. It's because Jesus drank completely the cup of God's wrath that sinners like us deserve. And he did so by becoming the substitutionary, sacrificial, spotless lamb. And the drink offering poured out for sinners so that all who trust in him can receive the cup of God's salvation. Let's pray.
So, Father, for your plan of salvation, we praise you. For you've taken the darkness of our sin and dealt with it according to your justice and love in a way no human would have ever imagined. And in so doing, you are yet again lifted high and glorified. Lord Jesus, we've perhaps gotten a little better understanding of what you endured for us as we've meditated together tonight on the cup you took from the Father. But truth be told, we may not know, we cannot tell what pains you had to bear, but we believe it was for us you hung and suffered there. And so we praise you over and over again for the salvation you accomplished for us. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to grow us in seeing the glory and the beauty of Jesus and change us more and more into his likeness in whom we pray these things. Amen.